what a day Jesus had had in that reading. We're actually going to come to that reading in a little while, but um, the subject for the sermon is the healer. And it is the healer, not healing as such. Uh, We're going to be looking at Jesus and who he is. But first, uh, we're going to look at someone who's been described as a type of Christ. I don't know if you've heard that expression before. Um, It doesn't mean someone, another version of Christ. And it doesn't mean someone who's kind of a bit like Christ. When, uh, When people refer to a type of Christ, it's someone who, particularly an Old Testament character, who displays in some way something of the coming Christ, of his character, of his mission, something about him. Uh, Joseph would be a good example of a type of Christ. Um, He was sent into suffering by his own people, then rose to the highest position and saved his people from that position. And clear parallels with the life of Christ there. About Moses, they tried to kill him at birth. Remember the story of Jesus and um, King Herod? trying to kill the babies under two. Moses freed his people who were in slavery and told them about God, told them God's way. Again, a type of Christ, something that tells us a bit about the coming Christ. Elijah and Elisha, they were preachers of God's word. They spoke for him. They performed miracles, healed the sick, even raised the dead. Much like Christ telling us something about him. David, King David, the shepherd king, promised an everlasting dynasty. One of his children would always be on the throne of Israel. And the man described as a man after God's own heart, that's in Acts, describes David like that. What was it about David though, that got him described as a man after God's own heart. I mean, he was far from perfect. We all know the story of um, David and Bathsheba, how he committed adultery, which led to murder, and lied about it and tried to cover it up. Not a glowing recommendation. He was really bad at looking after his own family. There was incest, rape, murder among his own children. And he did things that, if he'd done today, would have been considered war crimes. When he defeated the Moabites, he made them lie down on the ground, measured them off with a length of cord. Every two lengths of them were put to death. The third length was allowed to live, and so the Moabites became subject to David and brought tribute not something of the character of David that's often said. We could be charitable and just assume that was the army, or maybe it included the women and children of Moab as well. We don't know. Not a perfect man. Not by any stretch of the imagination. But he is described as a man after God's own heart. I want you to imagine something for a while. I want you to imagine that your grandfather is king of all 
the land. Your father, wonderful man, oldest son, he is the royal heir, the prince regent. You are therefore second in line for the throne. Unfortunately, while you're still a young child, your country is attacked. Your father and the king go to fight and they're killed by the invaders. Think about that. What does that make you? Apart from an orphan, makes you king or queen. But in escaping the invaders, in being rushed out of the palace as a small child, there's an accident and you're crippled in both legs, both feet. Can't walk properly anymore. And you grow up in hiding. Away from all the trappings of royalty and power, you grow up. And later, a general from the king's army who'd deserted the king, had gone away, lived with the enemy, then had swapped sides in the middle of the battle and defeated the enemy, declares himself to be king. What's your best bet? What's your best bet for a long life? You're crippled. You have no resources. You're hardly likely to be able to raise a group of people to stand for your right to be king. Your best bet is to live out your life in obscurity, under the radar, and hope you never come to the attention of the new king. And in case you're wondering, your name's Mephibosheth. That's the story from the Old Testament. And the king is David. I know I may have described King David in um, what might have seemed like a slightly distorted fashion. But all of those facts about him would have appeared true to other people in the land at the time. It was God who had anointed David as king, true. But that had been done privately. Other people hadn't seen it. There were very good reasons for all the things that David did. But again, from Mephibosheth's point of view, he would hardly have seen them. It took several years for the whole country to accept David as king. It wasn't an overnight thing. He started with just Judah, and it took a long time before he was accepted as king of the whole land. I'm going to read a story to you now of what happened. This is in 2 Samuel chapter 9. Um, it's basically the NIV thing. It's slightly abbreviated to make it a little quicker. But if you want to follow, it's, it's 2 Samuel 9. David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. 
They called him to appear before David. And the king asked, Is there no one still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Just interrupting that for a second. Do you know what male lions do when they take over a pride? When they run off the other male? They kill the cubs. They make sure there's none of the old king's children left. And that's pretty much what an ancient king would have done if he'd taken over a country. No possible challenges. Zeba answered the king, There is a son of Jonathan. He's crippled in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. And Zeba answered, He is at the house of Machias, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. So King David had him, sent, had, sorry, had him bought from Lodabar. When Mephibosheth came to David, he bowed down to pay him honour. David said, Mephibosheth, your servant, he replied. Don't be afraid, said David to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table and he was crippled in both feet. This is why David is a type of Christ. This is a man after God's own heart. Mephibosheth was the biggest political threat to David's kingship that there was. He was the rightful heir of the previous dynasty. Then he was disabled, and they didn't look on disabled people kindly and treat them well in those days. They were looked down upon, and they were certainly kept out of the sight of royalty. Surely God had cursed them, why else would they be disabled? That's what the people would have thought. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table and he was crippled in both feet. The Bible uses a special word for this kind of act, this kindness, this way of treating someone. The word's grace. This is the character of God. This is the character of Jesus. Child of darkness, called into the king's light, crippled, unfit, unclean, Come and sit at the king's table. Don't be afraid. He invites you. 
Accept that he treats you as one of his family, one of his honoured ones. Every day, forever, eat at his table. Share family time with the king. I don't know how you react when you're under stress and pressure there's antagonism against you. Do you get irritable? Snappy? Do you become insular? Is it just me? If it is just me, could you all come and pray for me after the service? Sue would really appreciate it. <coughs> if we look at the passage that um, Alan read for us earlier, Matthew chapter 12, this is a day in Jesus' life. It's on page 977, if you've got a pew Bible near you. Look at the kind of day Jesus was having. In the first two verses, we see people getting very, very picky with him on tiny little things. I mean, the disciples were hungry, walking through a grain field. They were picking off heads of corn and eating them. Okay, it was the Sabbath. Harvesting and work were forbidden on the Sabbath. They hadn't got sickles out. They weren't clearing the field. There was no combine harvester. They were being really picky with him. And we've probably had people be like that with us. And if we're honest, we've probably been like that with other people at times as well. And it can become really annoying. And Jesus points out their complete misunderstanding and that there's something far more important to worry about. Really him. He's far more important than the Sabbath that they were worried that the laws were being broken off. Not a good start to the day if you want to be in a good mood. Going on from that place, he goes to church. He goes to the synagogue. And they've set a trap for him. This is a deliberate trap. And they've not only done it, they've roped in some poor man who's been disabled just to catch him. Whatever he does, he's going to look like he's at fault. He's either working on the Sabbath or he's indifferent to human need. But it's Jesus who points out their complete lack of compassion and humanity in what they've done. And he says it's right to do good on the Sabbath. But if you notice, he doesn't actually do any work. He just tells the man to raise his hand in verse 13. He doesn't say, doesn't go and touch him, doesn't pray over him, he doesn't do any of the things he sometimes does when he heals people. He just says, raise your arm. And it's healed. So technically, he didn't do any work on the Sabbath. So people have been picking with him, picking on him, telling him off for what his friends were doing. People have set traps for him. It gets worse. The Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. They put a price on his head. They arranged to have him killed. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. Whether he's going into hiding or just putting a sensible distance between him and them. 
He's, uh, he's moved away. And if you're in that place, what do you want? I know I wouldn't want loads of people with me. That's the last thing I'd want. I'd want to be alone, maybe with the disciples, have a chance to talk things through, pray, decide what's happening. Many followed him. Just what you want. Just think what mood you're in in this day. I know Jesus was God, but he is also human. He's had people start the day by being really picky with him, setting a trap for him, and then putting a death warrant on him. And he's left the area. He's fled from there. And crowds of people follow him. And how does he react? And he healed all their sick. Okay, he warns them not to tell anyone, but after all, he is on the run at that time in hiding. That makes sense. He heals all their sick. He spends time with them. Each one. And they weren't lined up in nice, neat rows, already bandaged. They would have been diseased people, disfigured. There might have been smells of putrefaction, vomit, possibly worse, depending on what was wrong with people. There was no real medicine at the time. It was dirty. It was unclean. And he healed all their sick. He took time with each one. He accepted them. This is the character of Jesus. This is the character of God. This is the healer. This is grace. This is who Jesus is. Are the times when you're nervous about approaching God? You're not sure that he'd accept you? Is the problem too big? Is he too busy? Is it something that's beneath his worry? It's too small, not worthy of him. Or are you not worthy of him? Are are our sins too great? Are we not in a fit state to come before the king? Don't we want to bother him? Remember Mephibosheth. And think of that table every evening in the royal palace. The princes coming down, all smart and made to look wonderful. Solomon in all his wisdom sitting there. The king sitting there. Absalom with his flowing hair bouncing in and sitting down. All the king's sons, royalty, and the king stops and he waits. And there's a click, click, click of sticks as Mephibosheth approaches and seats himself. And the king won't start until he's arrived. Remember Jesus, stressed, hunted, 
in a crowd that others would have seen as human refuse. Accepting, healing, forgiving, giving of himself, spending time with each one. This is the God we approach. The king's table at which we can sit. The passage goes on. This was for the, verse 17. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. A smouldering wick he will not put out. Till he leads justice to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope.